And hey, well, thank you, Kevin, and uh, worship team, and Katie for being a part of this as well. Thank you for being here, and if you're listening online later, thank you for doing that. Um, welcome back. I want to share a little story to begin, and many of you know um, a woman by the name of Mother Teresa. I hope you all have heard of this woman before, and I would say for Mother Teresa, whether you are a Christian, Protestant, Catholic, Hindu, uh, Muslim, uh, atheist, agnostic, that there is a general respect for this woman, Mother Teresa. Here's a picture of Mother Teresa. She's the one on the far right, in case you don't know who Mother Teresa is. Um, Mother Teresa's life was exemplary in so many ways, one who was willing to go to the, the far reaches of India to reach the people who were not reached by anyone else. Her compassion and heart for children um, and for the untouchable caste in India is profound. And her interest in helping people die well was also something that really set her apart. Um, many people who interact with Mother Teresa had nothing but good things to say about her personally. There's a gentleman named uh, David Scott who wrote about Mother Teresa this way. He said this, we always saw her smiling. She had a playful smile, mischievous, as if privy to some secret joke. Especially when she was around children, she beamed with delight. In private, she had a quick, self-depreciating sense of humor and sometimes doubled over from laughing so hard. So many people who spent time with her came away saying that she was the most joyful person that they had ever met. Which is very, very interesting because of what is about to come in a second. See, this is what Mother Teresa would actually say, is that peace begins with a smile. And if this is all you knew about Mother Teresa, the external public persona of Mother Teresa, we would be very encouraged and find solace and comfort in someone who was willing to pay such a high price that she paid to meet the needs of those who many considered um, unclean and unwilling to, to help. But here's the reality, that Mother Teresa actually, if you know her story at all, was actually tortured of soul. In her private world, in the private chambers, Mother Teresa underwent all kinds of struggles at a personal level, and particularly a struggle with feeling very distant from God himself. And Mother Teresa gave us the gift of having written down many of her thoughts, and her journals have become public since her passing. And in one of her journal entries, she writes this, imagine this for a minute, and and embrace the candor and honesty, if you will, of Mother Teresa's language in the private moments of her own life. Many, by the way, had no idea, including myself for sure, that she struggled in this way. And here's what she wrote. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me, the child of your love, and now become as the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved, I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. Where I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God lives in me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. From the words of Mother Teresa. There's a dark space that exists in all of our souls that St. John the Cross wrote about back in the 16th century. He called it the dark night of the soul. And it's a space that if we were honest enough, like Mother Teresa was, we could all find a home, I think, in what she wrote. 
I don't know if there's a one of us who has gone through significant pain or grief or sorrow who would, who would not be able to find a home here. Any of us who have lost a spouse unexpectedly and the grief that comes on that and the, the prayers that are offered and the lack of response that we feel or any of us who have had career or life plans change suddenly and deeply and profoundly and had our very core rocked or we've been diagnosed with something we didn't expect to be diagnosed with or we've lost a child. Any of us who have dealt with this kind of dark night of the soul must find a home in what Mother Teresa says. These words that we offer sometimes come back as sharp knives and hurt our very soul. God, where are you? I'm told you live in me, but the emptiness, the coldness of soul is so profound. And here's the funny thing. If we live in North America, as I think most of you do, and probably most of you are listening online later do as well, this conversation around the dark night of the soul, around the grief that exists in the space that we sometimes call our inner selves, that conversation around that space does not really find a home in North American values. If you imagine two different streams running next to each other but never meeting, these are the two streams of conversation this morning, and this stream is the stream of North American values, of values that America has been founded on. Values, by the way, which include valuing the young and the strong over the old and the weak. Values that include valuing the dreamer, the hoper, the one who can build the entrepreneurial spirit, because this is what America is after all. This is the value over here of the future and certainly not the past, because what past does America really have in comparison to almost every other nation in the world? Our stream in America, North America, is a stream of the future. It's a stream of hope, of courage, of dreams and vision, and it is not a stream that someone going through the dark night of the soul feels comfortable swimming in and finds themselves not only a fish out of water, but a fish in another kind of water, in another kind of current, in another kind of space, unsure how to navigate that stream of struggle, of grief, of sorrow, of mourning, and not sure who around them is swimming in that stream, not even sure how to process that. And by and large, all of us will feel, as we often do, at a loss for words to know how to console people going through the deepest of struggle because it's not a stream that we often know how to swim in. And it's this stream that Jesus speaks to. In fact, it's this stream over here that Jesus says actually becomes a source of incredible power for you, for me, when we're here. Not a stream to be avoided, not a place to not swim in, not a place to run from, but indeed a place, the very place where you will find God himself. See, it's in, these, in Jesus' kingdom, power is found in these moments because God is found in these moments. That God is not found over here where there's hope and future, and sure he's found here to some degree, but our most transformative moments, the moments that we remember, the moments where we are really shaped, are almost always the moments of struggle and strain and mourning and grief and heartache. And in the world in which you and I live, in this world in which power and authority is cast in one particular direction, cast and built upon the shoulders and the foundation of the American dream, the future and the hope and the strength and the survival of the fittest. For these spaces and places in our life where we swim in a stream that is very counter to that, we can be lost and unsure of what to do. In Jesus' kingdom, his power, his authority is very different 
foundationally than what you and I may have experienced here in North America. And this is the beauty and the strength of slowing down through Jesus' teaching on what power and authority really looks like for the person who wants to follow him. So this morning, I want to take you on a next step in our series calling Power to try to introduce you again to another teaching of Jesus to help us see how power in his kingdom works. Not just power in our world, but power in his kingdom. And it's going to be a kind of teaching, if I'm honest with you, if I can just, if I could almost sit down across the coffee table from you out back there in our coffee bar back here, if I could just sit down across from you and just chat with you one-on-one, I would almost tell you that this may sound strange. It may seem odd for us to pause in the middle of our lives and, and spend time talking about something, maybe you could call it a heavy, maybe depressing, maybe a struggle, like mourning and grief and trial. And I would also maybe follow that up immediately by saying the reason it will feel off a little bit is because we're so used to swimming in the stream over here. A future, orientation, hope, courage, vision, dreaming, planning. And yet Jesus takes a moment and talks about this. And what he says is very, very helpful. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the, the book of Matthew. It's a little letter written by Matthew, who is a follower of Jesus. And um, it's the first book in the New Testament, by the way. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible. But Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, it's where we're going to be for the next several weeks together, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew around you. That's our gift to you, by the way, if you don't have a Bible. But Matthew chapter 5 Um, And I'm actually going to read from verses 1 to 10 this morning, just to set the context again for what we're doing. So I'm reading from the NIV, and here's what Matthew wrote about this moment. Now, when he saw the crowds, verse 1 of chapter 5, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to teach more, but this is the scope of this series on power, about these, what some in the church have called beatitudes over the years, but these blessed statements is the scope of our study together. You'll notice, if you will, at verses 3 and 10, verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 10 for a minute, and it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You'll notice the parallel in the bookend that Jesus makes. He opens up in verse 3 by saying, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 10, he finishes by saying, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so everything in between, and he's, he's bookending his teaching by trying to give people who are following him, and by the way, there's large crowds gathered because he's the guy, he's the healer, he's the teacher, he's the miracle worker, large crowds gathered. They want to know, Jesus, how does your kingdom work? Because clearly you are a power player. People are going to follow you. And so because of your power, we want to know how it works. And Jesus immediately teaches them, this is power in the kingdom. This is the kingdom. These kingdom teachings, this is about the kingdom. So if you're a citizen of this kingdom, these are the things that you will be blessed or fulfilled or happy, satisfied, joyful if you do, if you're in this kingdom. And this kingdom that Jesus teaches in verses 3 to 10 is just categorically different than the 
kingdom of this world. And the reason is, the reason it's different is because of this image up here that in Jesus' kingdom, he came not to to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in Jesus' world, in Jesus' kingdom, life comes from death, not the other way around. Life, life doesn't come from avoiding death and gaining all the power, but life actually comes from giving yourself as the ultimate sacrifice. And so everything in Jesus' kingdom feels a little bit counterintuitive to what you and I might be used to. And so Jesus taught in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we covered that last week, essentially reminding us that, you know, how blessed we are when we know our need of God. It's a great position to be in, to be dependent on and need and recognize that need of God. And then he says this in verse 4, and this is where, this is why I started with Mother Teresa and started kind of setting the stage for this in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, in our world, think about this for a minute. We talked about this as a staff this week. Think about the last time in your world when someone actually used this word mourn in in a sentence. When is the last time you would have used mourning to describe anything that, that happened in your world? Now, we can't have a conversation here back and forth, but I would bet that for the majority of us, most of us use the word mourning in a joking sense. In other words, I think the Phillies won last night, but let's just say the Phillies lost last night, or let's say the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. That would be a better illustration. If the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, which of course we know they did not, okay, but had they lost the Super Bowl, all the Eagles fans would have been in, we know it, in mourning, and we know they wouldn't, but we use that term in a joking way because it's such a heavy word that we assign it a joking, in a joking way because we don't know how to handle it otherwise. In fact, people who lose, their, lose loved ones, we don't even say they're in mourning. We generally don't say that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But generally we say they're grieving. But this mourning word, it almost never shows up. And the only time it generally shows up in our language is when we say, yeah, oh, he's, he or she, they're in mourning because their team lost last night. And then we laugh about it a little bit and kind of make fun of them again for the loss, and then we move on. But Jesus actually uses this term. This is a heavy term. This is weighty, weighty term. Blessed are those who mourn. Like, what does that actually mean? So again, put yourself for a minute on the mountainside with Jesus teaching. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people there who are following Jesus. This is now ancient Near East. This is not North America in the 21st century. This is, this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet, pre-whatever. Blessed are those who mourn. We get a little glimpse of what this is like by watching the news and seeing what happens in the Middle East right now when, when children die or families die or someone died unexpectedly. We get glimpses in the news, whatever news channel you watch, whatever you watch online, you'll see images of, of people who are basically wailing in the streets. Can you kind of conjure that image up, kind of picture that in the, the Middle East in particular? Very graphic mourning. I mean, yelling, wailing, crying, weeping, very, very um, you know, expressive kinds of emotion. And this is what Jesus' followers, the teachers, the, the people right there would have, would have heard. Like, oh yeah, Jesus, we know what mourning is. Like when people die, the mourners come. The mourners come to our house. In fact, it's pictured in the New Testament. The mourners, some of them are professional mourners, some were paid. They would come, and if in our world, our local funeral homes would have mourners who come with them, not just ushers who help you get up to, the, to your space, but actually have mourners who come, and they make a big, you know, a, a big to-do about the event. Like they're crying loudly. They're emotional. They're expressive. They're wailing and crying and, in some cases, screaming and just moaning. So it is loud. It is a snotty affair. I mean, they're, you know, tearing up. There's snot coming over. I mean, this is, this is we've got to get into that moment. So when they hear that, blessed are those who mourn. 
they hear something very different than what we hear. When we go to funerals today, we try to keep it together in general, right? And what is our instinct relative to grieving? Isn't, is it not to apologize when we are about to tear up and cry? Do we not instinctively do that? Isn't our grieving more cerebral? Kind of like where we are this morning, like we're not crying, we're not tearing up, we're just trying to, trying to keep it together, because that's, that's what we do in our world. But that's not what they would did. That's not what they would have heard. Like the blessed are those who mourn, it was an entirely different worldview. And we believe that when Jesus was talking in Matthew 5, the foundation of his teaching is actually Isaiah 61, back in the Old Testament. Isaiah 61 passage speaks about the future hope of the nation of Israel, that the people who were experiencing great injustice, who were oppressed, who did not have equal rights, who did not have um, equal economic opportunities, educational opportunities, worship opportunities, they didn't have equal rights at all, they were being oppressed by the powers that be, that there's a future there for them in which even though they mourn now, even though their children are maybe abused now or taken now, even though their fathers are killed now or their, their wives are hurt now, like even though this is happening now, you're mourning now, there will be a future later. And we believe Jesus is building on that foundation. Blessed are those who mourn would have meant something very different in Jesus' time. It just simply would have. For us, we don't even know what to do with that space, with that dark night of the soul. And I would ask the question, and I asked it this week to myself, and as a staff we talked about it too, why would Jesus say this? Why, why in the world? Blessed, blessed are you if you mourn. Blessed are you if, if you get into this dark space like Mother Teresa did. And we only mourn now, if we're honest, we, only, we don't even call it mourning, but we would only mourn or grieve deeply now when we actually come to the end of ourselves and don't have answers. Like we come to the end of grieving and don't know why God isn't responding. Why did you take him now? Why did you allow this to happen now? God, are you here? Are you listening? I don't know that I hear anything from you. And like Teresa, Mother Teresa would say that the knives, the emptiness, the echoes hurt. And we wonder in this space, again, if we're honest, in this dark night of the soul, in this dark space, is there even a God there? And if we're honest... It can be scary to even think about going to that space. Because I'm going to ask you, what if you don't find God there? Like, what, what, if, you, what if you go all the way there? God doesn't seem to care at all. What if, what if you run into what Mother Teresa did? And in the very space when the pain was the greatest and the struggle was the greatest and she was pouring out her soul in the greatest way, God's silence and absence seems even louder. And now you've just been vulnerable and open to him, and he offers you nothing in terms of comfort. Because this is the depth of mourning. It would have been very normal to experience. And honestly, I'm afraid to go to that space sometime. See, our default, our pattern can often be because we value the future and what's next. Let me kind of acknowledge there was a loss, but move on to the next thing. And there's health in continuing to process and continue to go through life. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, who experience and feel and allow themselves to sit in the space of the pain and process it. Blessed are you when you mourn. Why? For you will be comforted. 
The Beatitudes go together. They always do. You can't separate them. Mourning isn't gold just for itself. It isn't valuable just on its own right, but it comes with something. And the reason why mourning is valuable is Jesus offers the very next thing for you will be comfort in. And here's what we know. You don't ever experience comfort unless you've gone through the mourning, right? Like comfort means something to someone who's gone through mourning, but it means something different to someone who hasn't. I know there is a couple of people who have only, I think, half a brain who ran a marathon yesterday here. Um, Kevin, yep, hey. Kevin and Wes McDonald, congratulations to them. They ran a, a full marathon yesterday, and that was amazing. Several of you ran the half marathon, which is great, too. So here's the thing. I, I didn't run a marathon. I haven't run a marathon, but um, kudos and, you know, to, to you guys. But listen, along the way, I wouldn't call it morning, but I would call it pain. Somewhere along mile 8, 10, 13, 17, there's, there's pain in the process. Now, there are people at the finish line sitting and waiting for these guys and others to cross the finish line, right? And they're sitting, sitting on the curb, sitting on the grass. And over time, because they're sitting so long, they get sore, they get stiff. But what do you think Kevin and Wes would have given for a moment to sit down in the middle of the pain? How great would that have been if the clock could have stopped for a minute and they wouldn't have stiffened up? But how great would it have been to have the comfort of sitting down in the middle of the pain? But how ironic it is that those who are experiencing the comfort of sitting after a while, like, man, this is too comfortable, quote-unquote, I'm now uncomfortable because I've been sitting on this hard curb for so long. And for those like Kevin and Wes who come across the finish line 26 miles later, the comfort of sitting down means exponentially more to them than those who've been sitting there waiting for half an hour who never ran. Because we experience the comfort at a deeper level when we've been through the pain that they've been through. And this is the same principle that Jesus offers here. Like, blessed are those who mourn, because when you've gone to that space and you've entered into that space of engagement with God and pushed on him in this way and said, God, I don't know that you're here, and you've allowed yourself to sit in there, you can find comfort that otherwise you can't find. In fact, this is the space where you will meet God in a way that you will never experience in any other way. And this is why I think Jesus says, blessed are you, fulfilled are you, because you are going to see a side of God in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your grief, in the middle of the injustice. You're going to see a side of God that you will not see if you run by that. You will see a side of God that you will not see if you just scoot by that quickly. You will see a part of God, and blessed you will be because you will be Comforted. The problem is, he doesn't say when. He doesn't say in six months, three months, five years. Mother Teresa's dark night of the soul went on, and some would say, almost for a lifetime. In fact, her grief went on for so long, her struggle went on for so long, that she actually came to the point, get this, she actually came to the point where she said, I have found solace in the loneliness I feel from God. In fact, it is that very thing that reminds me that I bear the cross of Christ here because he was rejected by men and I have felt the rejection of God and in that I sense a love of his because I am one with him in that way in the sense of being rejected by people. It's amazing, profound insight that she gives to us, but she felt this for decades. But Jesus blessed are you, for you will be comforted. Now here's the thing with comfort. The benefit of comfort is we can then offer that comfort to people who are going through the same pain, right? Parents know this. Anyone who's older knows this as well. Parents, the lessons we teach at our, our kids primarily come from, what, pain and struggle and failure in our own life, right? 
For the places that we have fallen and been comforted, we offer it to the next. And this is the gift and benefit of comfort. This is what we can't offer if we don't do this. In fact, here's what Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. He said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Then he goes on to say this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The point is, when I enter this dark space, this dark night of the soul, and don't try to run by it too quickly, but pause to process what is happening in this space, I can receive a comfort from God, which I can then in turn, in time and in proper way, I can then offer as an encouragement to you. You can offer as an encouragement to me. And it strengthens us because we've been through that, which I don't get if I run right by it. Now, here's what we see in Jesus' kingdom, that power and authority and influence come. Because I can, I, if I stay in this space of mourning long enough, if I stay in this space of processing my pain long enough and can offer to you a part of God, a part of myself that I've seen in this space, I can actually encourage and strengthen you with the time that I have spent in mourning. And if I, if I don't, I, I can't. And it is such a different perspective and a different worldview than we are probably used to. And so I want to say a couple things to try to get some handles on this for us as we kind of wrap this thing up a little bit. I have a couple friends who are pilots, and I've never um, been able to parlay that into free airline tickets yet but I'm still hoping that that might happen. Here's what I learned from pilots, is that when there's a storm, and they're flying through the dark clouds, particularly in the evening, uh, you lose perspective of the horizon. You just lose perspective of actually anything that can orient you in normal terms to what's happening around you. And during those times when you're flying through the dark clouds, you really can't tell if you should go down or up, you know, right, left, whatever, you, you lose, lose perspective. And they would say it's at those times especially where you have to trust the instruments. You can't trust, in fact, yourself. You can't trust your sense of judgment anymore because you have no point of context. You have to trust the instruments, which is a fair point. It makes sense, and I'd rather they trust the instruments if I'm sitting behind them, right, in the plane. And I would argue the same thing is true for, for grief and mourning and pain and struggle. In those times, it is exactly like that. We don't actually know which way to turn. I don't know how to grieve the best. I don't know, do I, do I cry here? Do I write this? Do I talk to somebody? Do I, what, 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 do I, what do I do? How do I process it? In what way do I process my struggle? How do I trust and what are the instruments that I use to make it through this, this cloud? I'd like to suggest to you three things. Uh, number one, this idea. This idea, first of all, that for all who want to meet God, Jesus teaches us that we can meet him in the morning. This is the starting point for me. For all who want to meet God, Jesus teaches that we can meet him in the morning. We know that Jesus actually wept, like he cried with people. Like he's been to these places, and he himself has been there. Some of you know I teach um, at classes every now and then at Lancaster Bible College, adjunct faculty there for a little while, and, and one of the students in my class just this past winter raised his hand, um, and he was very honest with me, and, and I think we could all resonate with him. He said, hey, uh, Tim, I have a question. I struggle with feeling like I can connect with God when he doesn't answer my prayers. 
When, when, for example, and he just used a silly example, he said, so for example, if I have a splitting headache or I'm dealing with a migraine and I'm driving home and I've got to get to work and I can't because of this and I ask God who says he loves me to help and to heal and he doesn't, and yet I'm just supposed to put my emotions and feelings on hold and love him anyway? Like, is that what you're telling me? Like, when he doesn't heal, when he doesn't react, what should I, what should I do? To which I said, well, that's not what this class is for. I'm not going to answer your question. No, just kidding. I said to him, listen, it's a great point. And I would ask this question to you. I said, why is it that you believe in Jesus at all? Do you have faith for all the good things that he can do? I said, so for me, as we walk through struggle, as I walk through trial, as I'm in that dark cloud, what holds me in is not that Jesus promised to heal, but if Jesus died on the cross and came back to life, then everything that someone who does that says, I sign up for. Bottom line. I don't sign up for Jesus because he's going to deliver healing for me every time. I don't sign up for Jesus because he's always going to bring comfort to my soul when I need it. I don't sign up for Jesus because I'm going to feel like he's always my best friend. That's not why I sign up for Jesus. I line up for that because Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and came back to life again. And that is my first instrument. That for me, if I want to meet God, Jesus, because I believe in his resurrection, and he teaches this, then I'm going to go to that space of mourning. And so I encourage him, listen, why do you believe at all? Why is it? Do you only believe in him if he heals your headache? Do you only believe, or do we believe in him because of what he has actually done? And so if Jesus has actually died and come back to life, what he teaches, I want to line up for. And Jesus teaches, blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. You're going to meet God. You're going to meet God in the morning at some point. Now, number two. If we don't process the pain, we can't experience the joy. You may have heard me say this before, and this is a really important principle that I hope we can get. This has been very personal for me over the years. Uh, I have learned this the hard way uh, and still continue to learn it. What this means is that there are times for all of us when we finally realize we have been impacted by people around us who have loved us but are also fallen people, who have influenced us and moved us and changed us and challenged us, and we've been been hurt in ways that sometimes we don't even realize. And there's pain that comes with all of this and all of us, and there's limitations that we have, and we kind of push it out to other people. And here's what, what I know. When, when we have pain that we don't process, what that turns into is bitterness. It turns into pessimism. It turns into anger. It turns into short-temperedness. It turns into an inability to handle conflict well. It turns into being someone who's highly critical and, un and unable to extend grace and patience and experience joy, which is all an extension of an inability to process pain. And part, not all, part of the reason is the stream that we swim in is not a stream that knows how to stay in the space of mourning until we get through. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn, you will be comforted. You will be future. You will be comforted. You will meet God in a way here that otherwise you will not meet him. And if we don't process the pain, you and I will not experience the joy. So that's the second handle I want to give you in the middle of flying through that cloud. The third handle is simply this. Over time, 
over time. God's comfort will come, will come, drawing us both closer to him and to others. Over time, and I don't know when, I don't know when, and I don't know how, but over time, God's comfort will come, drawing you closer to both him and other people. And that is the beauty and the strength of having walked through a particular period of time which has been very difficult, embracing it, owning it, stepping in, not running from the pain and the struggle, and opening yourself up to other people to see that in an appropriate way, and walking through that, that power and influence in Jesus' kingdom doesn't come from running from the pain, from avoiding this, but from actually stepping right into this space. And like Mother Teresa did, being extremely honest, saying, God, this is where I am. I do not know if you are here. But I want you to know, this hurts now. And put this out there. King David gave us a great example of this in the Old Testament through so many of the Psalms. Psalm 42 is one of those great Psalms where he speaks about a deer panting for streams of water. And he says, so my soul longs for you, O God. In other words, I'm longing for something I don't have right now. And so I want to encourage you. As you walk through life, and I know you're probably not going to think about mourning this week in this sense. You may think about grieving, you may think about pain. But I want you to consider this as a business leader. Who in your company that walks into your doors and clocks in on Monday morning actually should have processed the pain but instead brought it to your office and is ticked off at you or the employees they work with? They're short-tempered. They're late. They're struggling. Why? Because they don't know how to process the pain. They don't even know that they have it. But they're bringing it and it's impacting you. It's impacting the bottom line. I want to encourage you as an employer to be a little more patient if you can, to understand their story, to see that they need to step into a space they don't know how to step into. Because if we don't process the pain, we can't experience the joy and we can't be healthy. I want to encourage you as parents with kids who don't yet know how to step into the space of mourning, of processing the bullying they're experiencing at school, the feeling of being left out of their peer group, the feeling of being separate and isolated. That brings this, this sense of mourning and grief. They don't know that. They can't put their words to it. But they'll act out in different ways. I want to encourage you to try to be a little patient with that and see the value of the mourning and comfort and walk your kids through that. For those of you who are in school and see this in younger classmates, same thing. Same thing. Those in your school who aren't quite there, who you look at their lives and you're like, man, I know what life is like at home for them. I know what life is like for their siblings. I know that they're not getting what they need. They have no input in spiritual things at all. They have no one encouraging them. They don't have the resources that I have. I want to encourage you. When you see people who should be and who are acting out in ways that are really odd to you and off to you, the question becomes, how can I be patient and caring and loving and gracious for those who probably should be mourning but don't have the capacity or don't know how to do that? That your mourning, your comfort that you received can be a comfort and encouragement to others like Paul wrote about. And so Jesus says, hey, in my kingdom, blessed are you when you mourn, for you'll be comforted. And use that comfort, use that comfort, that strength you receive to comfort other people who need it too. Because we all do. Jesus teaches us one more thing. We're going to look at that next week. I look forward to seeing you back for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning to stop in this space, this 
place that we don't often stop in to see the value of grieving and mourning and what that brings to us in a relationship with you. I pray that you would help us as people not to be afraid of stepping into the space, so not be afraid of confession, not be afraid of um, arguing with you, not being afraid to write down and pray for and encourage and talk to one another and processing grief that comes and mourning that comes and struggle that comes, depression that comes. Not be afraid to process these things, that we can be people who see you in fresh and deep ways and people who are then able to comfort others with the same comfort that we have received. I pray for us in the dark night of our soul, if you will, that we would not give up on that or think that somehow that means that you as a God have left us out in the cold and have nothing to do with us, but that this is part of the process of seeing you and knowing you in a brand new way, in a deeper way, much like the model even of Mother Teresa this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth, even the truth that kind of comes counter to some cultural values that we have here in North America. And I pray that you would help us to be parents, to be students, to be grandparents, leaders, community members, children who are able to connect with you on this level, that we can know you deeply and serve others with the comfort that we too have received. We thank you for your care for us, and we pray these things now in Jesus' name.